Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Well, we um, have been in a series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And today I get to um, continue in that series. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of it, go back and listen to it. Week one, Mel kicked us off last week. Pastor Steph um, shared and did an amazing job. And, and so we're just recommending a few resources for this series. Uh, one, of course, is the Bible, the main source, <laughs> um, obviously. And the second one is the book, The Art of Neighboring, which we have about five copies left at our bookstore, but you can also so get those online on Amazon. And then the other book that Mel has referenced is Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, but I just want to pray over our over the message today and um, as we enter into just this time. God, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it transforms our hearts. I pray that today every single one of us would just be open to hearing your voice, hearing to how this message should apply to us. And God, I just thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So the main scripture that has been key for this whole sermon series is Luke 10, 25 uh, through 29, and it's talking about the great commandment. And uh, it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him his, this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, and he said, well, who is my neighbor? And so week one, Mel kicked it off with just saying, our neighbor is everyone, it's not limited to people that look like us, have the same political beliefs as us, talk like us, or believe like us, right? We, but the fact is, is when we aim for everything, we aim at nothing. And so in wanting to be neighbors with everyone, we are actually neighbors with no one. So it's super important that we are asking the Holy Spirit, who is my neighbor? Lord, who do you have in front of me that I'm supposed to be loving? And then week two, last week, Steph talked about how when we live presently aware of the people that God has placed around us, we'll see the neighbor that God's asking us to love. When we are, are constantly asking the Lord, like, who am I supposed to love? He's going to show us. And also the fact that God has obviously placed most of us in neighborhoods. Now we realize that some of you live on big pieces of land and your neighbors are far away. But for most of us, we live in neighborhoods and we believe that God has placed us there on purpose for a purpose. And so being a good neighbor also will cost us, right? It'll cost us our time. It'll cost us our comfort. So in preparation for my sermon, I came across the old familiar Sesame Street song, People in your neighborhood. How many of you remember it? Come on. All right. So I'm going to sing it for you today. Afterwards, I'm sure Pastor Todd will ask me to join the worship team, but I'll politely decline. <laughs> but I do want to ask you to sing it with me for those of you who know it. So, oh, who are the people in your neighborhood? 
in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Say, who are the people in your neighborhood? Y'all are quiet. Come on now. The people that you meet each day. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. Um, so then it goes through. The postman is the neighbor in your neighborhood. Um, but we're not going to do that today. I'm done. Um, no, but in all seriousness, if I'm being honest, this series has been super convicting for me. Like, I, I will say that I, I'm good at loving people. Like, I feel like that comes naturally to me. But um, my literal neighbors, I can say that that has, has somewhat been a struggle. Not that I've had a trouble loving them, but my home is my sanctuary. And so I tend to, when I get home, pull in the garage, shut the garage door before I see any neighbors, go into my house and, um, and act like there's no one around me. Um, now, that's not so much been the case since I've been here, and there's really been one other time when we lived in Keller, Texas, and we were helping plant a church, and we lived in a community that was super community-oriented, like there was a pool in our neighborhood, and so it was just, we were all about meeting our neighbors, and those are my, my dearest friends, but that hasn't been the case everywhere I've lived. Um, but when we moved here, uh, we decided to buy a house in the borough, and we decided to buy a house in the borough right next to student housing, right next to Frat Row, and people thought we were crazy. And some of us still think, you think we are crazy. Um, and so, but we very much wanted to be intentional with the fact that God has called us to pastor in a college town. And so therefore, back then in 2014, Side note, we moved in seven years ago today, which that's amazing. Um, but so it's a special day. Um, and we actually lived in college housing then, which is another exciting story for six months. Um, my girls got to witness all kinds of fun things. Um, but it's another story for another day. Um, but we've just decided to be super intentional. Like if we're going to pastor in Indiana, we're going to live in Indiana and we're going to live in the middle of it all. Um, and I will say that Mel has always been a little bit better about getting to know our neighbors everywhere we've lived just because he's an extrovert and, um, and I'm more introverted. But the fact is, is that when Jesus lays out the great commandment, it doesn't say, if you're an extrovert, love your neighbor. If you're an extrovert, love people, but you introverts get off the hook. <laughs> it's not the case. Um, and so I just want to say I promise you God's working in my heart as much as he's working in yours through the series. So today what we're going to do, though, is we're going to examine our motives for why we neighbor. We're going to check our hearts. Um, and we're also going to talk about why it's important also to be on the receiving end of neighboring and not just always the one giving. And so I'm going to start out with us talking about our motives and doing our heart check. Um, and, you know, like Steph mentioned last week, we're not here to give you an evangelism strategy. I'm not here today to tell you how to lead someone to Jesus in three steps. Um, the goal of this series is to encourage you to be like Christ. The goal of this series is encouraging you to love like Jesus loves. So the pressure's off. See, because Jesus, when we became Christ followers, we didn't sign up to be salespeople for Jesus. How many of you are salesmen in the room? Do you enjoy it? Some of you do. 
But how many of you really hate sales? Raise your hand. Yeah. Like I used to be in sales and it just was always so uncomfortable for me. But Jesus didn't ask us to sign up to be a salesman for him. And when he called the disciples, he didn't say, hey guys, come and be salespeople for me. No, he said, come and follow me and I will teach you to be fishers of men. See, our mission as Christ followers is to love God, love people. It's to follow Jesus. It's to emulate him in everything we say, do, and think. It's to love our neighbors. And as we live on purpose, as we love God and we love people, you will lead people to Jesus. People will come to know him because of your influence and the light that's in you. Our job is not to coerce people into heaven. So growing up, especially as a teenager, um, I grew up in, in an Assembly of God church and, um, and at youth camp and, and at special services that we would have at our church, well-meaning pastors and evangelists would use the fear tactic when they got to the salvation call to get people to, to raise their hand for salvation. And one that was so familiar to me and will forever stay in my mind is, if you get hit by a bus tonight, do you know where you're going? The ironic part is I lived in a town that there were no buses, like, and they would still use that. Like, it, I didn't live in a town that we would, like, even walk the streets, really. Um, and so the likelihood of me getting hit by a bus while walking was very slim. You know, there wasn't even an indigo system. The only buses in town were school buses. But every single time I'd be like, I need Jesus. Like, even if I was really okay, it just scared me to death. Um, and so, but our job is not to f make people so afraid that they choose Jesus. Our job is to show people how much we love Jesus so that they want to love him too. See, Jesus wants us to freely choose him. He wants every single person to freely choose him based on acknowledging that they need a Savior. And that's when legitimate life change happens. See, in the Art of Neighboring book, it describes ulterior motives versus ultimate motives. Because we all have different motives for doing what we do. Um, and ulterior means something is intentionally kept concealed. An ulterior motive is usually manipulative, so it's when we do or say one thing out in the open, but we are in, intend or mean another thing in private. It's when, like, kind of you just get to know somebody to either sell them on something. Like, I love the Facebook messages that, that I get from, like, people I haven't heard from in a really long time. Like, hey, Kim, I was just wondering how you were doing. I haven't talked to you in a long time, and I know instantly because I used to be it that they're trying to sell me on Mary Kay. <laughs> and so I automatically kindly say, thanks, I don't know what you're having. You really don't want to know how I'm doing. You literally just want to sell me makeup. So that's an ulterior motive. Right? And they never respond to me again. They have no interest in actually getting to know me as a person or how I'm doing. An ultimate motive, though, means the farthest point of a journey. An ultimate goal is an eventful point or longed-for destination. And so examples are when a person begins college with the ultimate motive in mind that they want to be a doctor someday. 
or maybe a young man starting to play basketball with the ultimate motive of one day hopefully joining the NBA. Those are ultimate motives. And so um, the the ulterior motive in good neighboring must never be to share the gospel. You don't befriend someone just to lead them to Jesus, and then if they decide they don't want what you have, walk away. That's manipulative. That's not really showing Christ's love. But the ultimate motive is always that. The ultimate motive in neighboring is to share share the story of Jesus and its impact that it's had on our lives every single time. So I'm just curious. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands a lot today. Um, How many in the room have had really uncomfortable um, occasions where someone approached you maybe on the street or um, tried to get to to tell you about Jesus in just a really awful, terrible way? A lot of you. So um, I have had that experience many times, and it's like that awkward moment where you're like, "Um, just so you know, I'm a pastor. (laughs) like, oh, I'm sorry. I just assumed you didn't know Jesus. Um, But kudos to them for telling everyone, I guess. But a lot of times when we are approached in really awkward, terrible ways, uh, we're a little bit gun shy to like talking about Jesus and having those spiritual conversations. So know that some of your neighbors may feel that way. They may have had knocks on their doors from Jehovah's Witness or Mormons. They may have had some awkward interactions, and so um, we want to make sure that we are genuinely just wanting to get to know them and love them. We aren't offering friendship with our neighbors with strings attached. You know, Jesus doesn't say, love your neighbor if they love me. Jesus says, love your neighbor, period. The C.S. Lewis says, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. So if you have a neighbor that's really difficult to love, just act like you love them. And God in your heart will begin to change. See, we love God so much that we can't help but love people. And when it comes to neighboring, I know you maybe think like, well, Kim, how does my story even come into the picture? How How does the fact that my life has been made different even come into the picture? And Steph mentioned it briefly last week, but when you're in relationship with people, it's natural to share the things we love, right? It's natural to, if you're a parent, talk about your kids, or if you love your job, or if you love the classes you're taking. No, none of you are like, yes, I love the classes I'm taking. Um, (laughs) But some of you do. Um, But when we're in a relationship, it's natural to talk about the things that you love. So if you love God, if you love Jesus, it's going to naturally come up in conversation. Now, I'm not talking about using all the church lingo and the Christian ease that they look at you funny like, are you speaking another language? <laughs> like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, we, Loving Jesus doesn't mean that you use all of these big Christian words. It just means that you love Jesus, and it naturally comes up that you are an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. See, because you are a carrier of the presence of God. 
You're a carrier of the presence of God no matter where you go, no matter where you are, no matter who you are with. And if it doesn't naturally come up in your conversation at some point, then maybe you don't know the person well enough. But the other thing is maybe you don't love Jesus as much as you thought you did, which hurts a little, right? Or maybe you're just concerned how it will affect your reputation or how you'll be perceived. See, sharing your story, both the good and the bad parts, is so important, and it's key to building long-lasting relationships. When we're beginning a friendship with someone, we don't automatically go to the deep things first, right? We're not automatically spilling our guts about all of our past mistakes and failures. Sometimes that happens, but most of the time we start with like just simple things, like what we can see. Like, oh, it is snowing outside. Oh, did you hear the students last night outside partying? Like that's a frequent conversation our neighbors have. But then there's kind of a natural progression that the book lays out and it says, you know, then we move on to basic information. Like, what do you do for a living? What classes are you taking? How many kids do you have? How long have you been married? And then the next level is we talk about our dreams and desires. Like, what do you love? Why do you love what you love? Why do you do what you do? And then we move into our regrets, our losses, and our pain. And as we move into this place, that's when the story of Jesus enters the picture. That's when there is opportunity to see and share how Christ has changed our lives. How has he been an integral part of your story? You don't have to have some big mess up to have a story, right? You don't. We all need Jesus. We are all in need of a Savior. So how has he made your life different? See, people aren't looking for perfection, They aren't looking for the perfect version of you. They want to know that you're real. They want to know you for you. And they want to know why you need Jesus. Lisa Harper says, people aren't looking to where you got it right. They're looking to where you got it wrong and God redeemed your story. See, I know that some of you are thinking, well, Kim, but aren't we supposed to be telling everyone about Jesus. You know, what about the Great Commission? Well, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's the deal. The more the Great Commandment Love God with all your heart, mind, strength. Love people is at work in your life. The more it grows in your life, the more the Great Commission, go and make disciples, will grow in your life too. See, the Great Commission is an outflow of the Great Commandment. If you are living out the Great Commandment, love God, love people, then you will automatically live out the Great Commission, go and make disciples. So you have to remember that if you have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a carrier of light. We sang the song earlier, Let There Be Light. 
You are a carrier of light. You are a carrier of his presence. So if you have an intimate relationship with Jesus and you love God and you love people, then you are automatically going to be feeling the great commission, go and make disciples. It's not forced. It's who you are. It's just you are light. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. See, in ancient times at night, if a city was set on a hill or on a rise, they would light torches, obviously, because they didn't have electricity. But that city would glow at night. And if you lived in a rural area where it was pitch black outside, that city on that hill became a beacon. It became a a source of direction. It became a point where everybody could look to and say, okay, there's the city, and gave them some bearing. So at the end of October and in November, we did a series called God and Politics. And week four, we talked about, so what now? And we talked about how America is on fire. And I believe that we're seeing that now. And we talked about how God is calling us to be light as the church, as Christ followers. He's calling us to be the fire line, the thing that stops the fire. But what I see so many Christians doing right now is adding fuel to the fire instead of being the stop. And God is calling us to be light. He's calling us to be the fire line. And church, I just want to remind you that that is what he has called us to. So this is the fire line. Love God. Love people. No matter if they believe differently than you. Love God. Love people. Pray for your neighborhood. The fact is, like one of us can be loving God and loving people, and we'll have a little flame, a little light. But could you imagine if every single person that calls Summit Church their home, if every single person that attends here on the weekends actually became a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word, if we actually begin to go out and live the great commandment, love God, love people, can you imagine how bright our city would be? Can you imagine? And then can you imagine if every church... Every believer did the same. Can you imagine that darkness would be expelled and God's light would shine forth? Because I have news for you. King Jesus is still on the throne. He still is alive and well today, and he is in control. But he is looking for a people that will go out and love God and love people. Some of you are hiding your light out of fear. You're afraid of what people think. Maybe you've been rejected due to your faith or you're afraid of getting hurt and you're going to be. You're going to have the neighbor that when you get to that part of your story, they're going to reject what you have. Jesus guarantees it. You know, Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. And then he says this, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember that ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Here's the thing. We are able to be light because Jesus is light and he resides within us. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness, but you will have the light that leads to life. You know, we can mark off all of the Christian check marks. I read my Bible today. Went to church today. Prayed today over a meal. (laughs) You know, all of our check marks that we think we need to be doing as godly people. But those things don't make us light. They're part of it. I've met a lot of Christians. I have been the Christian that has marked off the good things, but I was not light. Transformation is what makes you light. Having an intimate relationship with Jesus is what makes you light. See, we don't love our neighbors so that they will know Jesus. We love our neighbors because we love Jesus. Love God, love people. So I know that the scriptures talks a lot about that it's more blessed to give than receive and that we should be servants to all, and and that is truth, right? We should have the heart of Christ. He was the ultimate servant. None of us want to be known as the taker. We want to be the giver. But the thing is, is that great neighboring, good friendships are built on reciprocal relationships, They're two-way streets. So at the end of the day, no one wants to feel like a project to you. How many of you have ever been made to feel like a project by someone? Yeah. We all want to feel like we bring something to the table. And I've learned this lesson so much, especially going on mission trips, especially going to developing countries, because we as Americans can go in and we can think, we're here to save the day. We're here to build you a water well and feed you food and evangelize you. And we're the superheroes entering the story into the developing world. And so often, those people want to give back. They want to give a gift or they want to serve a meal or they want to do something for you out of appreciation of you serving them. And more often than not, we can be like, no, 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 no. No, I came here to serve you. I don't need anything from you. No, and we reject their gift. But what I have learned that that does is it says, no, 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 I'm better than you. You're lesser than me. I don't need your stuff. I'm the Savior. You're not. So you can keep what you have brought to the table because I don't want it. And that may not be our heart, but that's what it says to them. But what they want is they want us to receive what they have to offer because then it says you have value, you have worth, you have as much as I have. We are one in Jesus Christ. You have a seat at the table. You have gifts that are welcome. You have talents that are welcome. And it's the same way in our neighborhoods. 
We don't all put on our superhero cape. I thought about actually wearing one today, but I didn't. So I wanted to really surprise you guys today, but we're not the superheroes that have entered our neighborhoods. Dun to dun to dun here to save the day in my neighborhood. No. We are just being like Jesus. Or being a good neighbor. It means you won't always just be the one giving, but you'll also be the one who receives. Now we want to be authentic about it, right? We don't want to like fake running out of sugar so we have an excuse to go ask our neighbor. I'll give them an opportunity <laughs> to bless me. Hmm, I think I'm out of sugar. But if you legitimately don't have sugar or almond flour, actually, um, you can call and say, hey, do you have this? And run over to their house. Like, that's the art of receiving. But the other things are like, maybe you see a neighbor laying a new sidewalk, and you need one, but you have no clue what you're doing. So maybe you offer to go help them to learn. Or maybe you ask them to come give you some tips on how to lay yours. See, for me, we have had new neighbors um, in the house next to us for um, about a year and a half, and we love them. And, um, but they are always doing DIY projects, always. And so um, there's been two other owners in that house since we have lived in ours. And, and so one day I made a comment to the husband. I said, hey, like, I'd, like, I would love to see your house sometime, see how it looks different. I know you guys have been doing a lot to it because I had seen it prior to with another owner. And he was like, didn't even ask his wife permission, like, hey, take them through the house, give them a tour. And I was like, okay. And so literally walked through every space in their house. And they have three teenagers. And, um, and so it was no big deal. But they've done a lot. And so he had made the comment to me, you know, we don't know what the inside of your house looks like. <sighs> I know. <laughs> Conviction. <laughs> so as I've been preparing for this sermon, actually, you know, like they have taken their carpet off of their stairs and redone their stairs themselves, and, and I want to take the carpet off of my stairs and redo them myself. Oh, geez, I think. But this is my opportunity to receive, like to say, hey, would you mind come give me some tips? And they get to see the inside of our house. That's the art of receiving. The art of receiving requires humility. It requires saying, you might have less than, but you have actually more than because you have something to offer me. It's being willing to impose on others. It's being willing to be vulnerable. It's being willing to say everyone has a seat at the table. Now, I know you have to use wisdom in these day and time. I'm not saying let your kids go over to every neighbor's house. It's not what I'm saying. <laughs> have discernment, right? But the fact is, is that no matter how much talent or money or things that we have, we are still all humans in need of relationship. We all lack something. None of us have all of the gifts and the talents in the book. And your neighbor might just have what you need. See, even Jesus, even Jesus didn't just give, he received too. And Luke 7, uh, 36 through 50 is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to paraphrase it. But um, 
Jesus was invited over to a Pharisee's house to have dinner, a religious leader. And so Jesus heads over, and this woman, who they say was a sinful woman, who they, um, scholars say it was probably a prostitute, hears that Jesus is in town. And she invites herself over. In fact, she doesn't even invite herself over. She just comes, comes in. <laughs> now, some scholars think that she had already had an encounter with Jesus, that she'd already given her life to him, that, that she'd already had a transformational experience with him. But regardless, she hears that the Messiah is in her city. She hears that the Messiah is in this Pharisee's house. And even though she knows how this religious leader is going to look at her, she makes her way to Jesus. And it says she brings an alabaster jar of perfume, very, very expensive jar of perfume. She makes her way through the house, probably unwanted, probably some really nasty looks on people's faces, unwelcome, probably really afraid. She makes her way to her Savior. She kneels at his feet. She begins to weep. And the story says that her tears are falling on his feet. And she breaks the jar of perfume and she's putting it on his feet, this expensive jar of perfume that wouldn't normally be wasted on feet. She's washing his feet with her tears, with this perfume, and it says she even wipes his feet off with her hair because she wants to give back. She knows what Jesus has done for her, and she can't help but lavish what little she has onto him. And of course, the religious leader is like, hey, Jesus, obviously you don't know who this is, or you would not be okay with this. She needs to get out of here. But Jesus says, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, even Jesus, he was actually is the Savior on the block. <laughs> he actually is the Savior of the world, but he is not too humble to receive from those who love him. No matter where you live, no matter what you do, no matter how significant you think you are, God created your life to count while here on this earth. And yes, the fact is, our days are numbered. When I was listening to our friend Matt's uh, celebration of life service yesterday, the one common theme that you heard from everybody was Matt loved like no one they had ever seen. And I thought... I want my celebration of life to be that. I want people to say, Kim Massingale loved like no one I had ever seen. That's how I want to be known. Matt had no clue that his life would be ending at the age of 43 last Friday. No clue. But he loved like Jesus loved every single day. And he wasn't perfect, but he lived his life on mission. And you are called to live your life on mission. So what is in your hand? Who has God placed around you to be a good neighbor to? He's given you gifts and abilities you have to be used of the, for the good of others and the glory of God. And he's placed neighbors in your life around you to, to also give to you, for you to receive from. 
Steph has been leading these neighboring group with some of her leaders that are now leading neighboring groups. And this is one of my favorite stories from one of the leaders. It says, this neighboring adventure has been enlightening and somewhat humbling. Using an everyday activity like baking and delivering dog biscuits with my granddaughter started the ball rolling by making connections with neighbors I didn't often see beyond a quick wave. After that, instead of passing one another, I found myself more likely to stop and chat. While it's in my nature to want to be the helper instead of the helped, I made more connections by accepting help with snow removal from two different neighbors. It's about being real and using the moment for me, and it doesn't always have to be orchestrated. So how do we be a good neighbor? How do we make sure our motives are right? Well, step one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you don't have an intimate, deep, personal relationship with Jesus, or maybe you once did, but you've let it waver and you've kind of walked away, this is your first step today. Choose Jesus. Acknowledge that you need a Savior and choose to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second step is stay in close proximity to him. Love him, make him Lord, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. So I don't mean for this to sound judgmental, but this is areas that I've had to check my own heart. I see a lot of hate coming from Christians. So it makes me wonder, do they really love God? It makes me wonder at times, do I really love God? Do I really love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? And I know that it's easy, especially if you've been hurt, to not want to love people because you don't want to be wounded again. But C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. None of us want that. None of us want our lives to measure up to that. None of us want it to be said of us that we kept ourselves so safe and comfortable that we loved no one. None of us want to be known as that. And the fact is, is that someday one of us will all, we will all stand before Jesus. We'll be given an account of our time here on earth. And one of his main questions is going to be, did you live out the great commandment? I fully believe that. Did you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength while you walked that earth? 
And did you love people as yourself? I know my friend Matt, I know last Friday Jesus looked him in the eye and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You loved like I love. I want Jesus to say that about me too. Let's pray. Oh God, I repent. We all repent of not loving like you love. I pray, Jesus, that we would be a representation of who you are to this world, especially now. That we would represent you well. God, that we would love the people that you love. Jesus, that we would walk worthy. That one day when we see her face, she'll say, well done. Jesus, move in our hearts. Convict our hearts. Help us to be made different today. Help us to be a light to our communities. Now for no one looking around and your head's bowed and your eyes closed, because our goal isn't to embarrass you, but maybe when I was laying out the steps today, that step one love God is you know that's the step you need to take today you know that you need to acknowledge that you need a savior and you need to love God first and you want to make that decision to follow him today or maybe you want to recommit to making that decision if that's you in the room or online I just want you to acknowledge that by raising your hand today and you say Kim I need to be I'm on step one I need to love God today anyone in this room today we just acknowledge you need a savior I see you, thank you anyone else okay. well if everyone will just pray this prayer with me today whether you're in the room or online dear Jesus I need you Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to love like you love. Jesus, I want to love you. I want to know you. Today I choose relationship with you. Make me different. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, can we celebrate with the one today? so grateful for lives changed and those maybe that were watching online that made the decision also and if you made that decision I would love uh, for you to text the word different to the number 94,000 so that we can walk with you the word different to num the number 94,000 and if you don't have a Bible um, or resources we would love to get you those things and so if you're watching at live.summitpa.church you can acknowledge that right there um, there should be a prompt in your chat you can also fill out the connect card there on the screen but here's the action steps for the rest of us for all of us join a group join an art of neighboring group this is how we have accountability and really grow in this art of neighboring. And so there are several groups that are online, several that are in person. So whatever you're comfortable with, those options are available for you. And so you can text 
the word Summit PA, so all one word, Summit PA, no spaces, to the number 94,000, and then select groups from that menu. The other thing is share your story with somebody. You know, maybe you start out sharing it with a friend to kind of test it out, (laughs) ask them for feedback, maybe what you can say differently. But share your story with somebody. I love sharing my story because it's a part of who I am. Jesus is my everything. So share your story of how Christ has transformed your life with someone. And then I just want you to ask yourself, am I good at allowing other people to care for me? I think most of us would say no. But I want us to ask ourselves, am I good at allowing other people to care for me? And then ask the Holy Spirit to help you be aware of the things that maybe your friends, your neighbors can begin to help you with. Ask him to help you be vulnerable enough to ask and receive. Listen, we're going to have time of prayer now. And our prayer team, I just want to invite you forward, some of our staff. So if you're in the room and you need prayer for anything, please come pray today. If you're watching online at live.summitp.church, there is prayer team right there available for you. Just hit the chat button and they will they would love to pray for you. If you're watching at one of our other platforms or maybe you're here in the room and just want to submit your prayer request, um, you can do that by texting the word Summit PA to the number 94,000 and submit your prayer request that way. But let me just pray a final blessing over you today. Jesus, I just bless everyone that is watching online that is here in this room. Jesus, help them to be light this week. Lord, may we light up our cities with your glory, with your goodness, with your mercy, with your grace, Jesus. I pray that we would impact those around us in a powerful way and that many would come to know him because of it come to know you because of it, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless our going and our coming in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Mel and I love you so much. We are so honored to get to be your pastors. I hope you have a wonderful day today.